This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey, welcome to Remarkable Results Radio. Carm Capriato here, your automotive aftermarket podcast pioneer. We've got over 1,100 episodes and uh, over you know, 550 hours of pertinent content. Uh, pertinent content to help advance all aftermarket professionals as leaders and as business people. Hey, plan to be at Apex 2023, October 31st through November 2nd. Apex will build upon the incredible success of Joe's Garage, a full 10-day working environment. If you earn your living in the auto service aftermarket, then Apex is for you. Hey, for over 30 years, Napa Tracks has made selecting the right shop management system easy by offering the best, most comprehensive SMS in the industry. We'll prove to you that Tracks is the single best shop management system in the business. Find Napa Tracks on the web at napatracs.com. I am honored to have David Fisher on from out there in sunny California. Hello, David. Hello, Carm. David is a uh, an ocean labor law expert, uh, basically in California, knows all that California stuff. We've been chatting before and I've been really zeroing in. I know somebody here in Buffalo that does what you do because of scheduling. We weren't able to get him on. Just talking about OSHA and regulations and safety. And the things that I've learned from you, David, that every state has to conform to federal OSHA rules, but every state has their own OSHA specs and laws. Is that That's right. There's a few states that have their own, like Cal OSHA, for example. <clears throat> but any states that do have their own have to comply with the OSHA federal minimum standard or more. So while, you know, I'm in California and you're in New York, we reach across the United States because they have to at least comply with the minimum OSHA standard. I've learned a lot from David as we've prepared for this episode about where California ranks as the state that an employee would sue an employer. California ranks number five. New York ranks number one. <laughs> My state. My state ranks number one. And another thing that we want to cover and really hammer home is employee handbooks. And and you were telling me that New York and California are on the, are on the bottom of the list. So we really have a lot of great things to talk about here. And that OSHA will now interview your employees while inspecting your job site? Is that true? Yes. It's a relatively new thing, or at least if they haven't been doing it, I haven't heard about it till recently. Um and it was interesting the way I heard about it was I had a client who was actually contacting Kalosha Consulting. The consulting side of Kalosha is the side that's supposed to be there to come out and help you, give you ideas. They're not supposed to turn you into the enforcement side. And a bunch of other promises are made. When this consultant came out, and he was from Kalosha, so it was Kalosha Consulting, he demanded to interview my client's employees. And my client wasn't really happy with that. And he said, okay, um, if, you, if you must interview my employees, you will not interview them unless Dave is present during the interview. Dave is a third party. So while you don't want me there, I don't want you to interview my employees without David there. 
And so that was an amazing thing for me. So many times I learn cutting edge things by being in the field and being right there. And I was amazed because this this, uh, consulting officer asked the employees, when is the last time that you've had a safety training topic? When is the last time you've been retrained on equipment? When is the last time you've been trained on new equipment? And do you feel safe with your employer in this working environment? I hope that this episode impresses upon our industry the importance of OSHA, your local state OSHA rules, and why we have to pay so close attention to our workers' safety, including um, uh, in the old days, I remember MSDS sheets. Now they're called, what, safety data sheets, right? SDS? Correct. And uh, I found out something so fascinating that if you were buying a, a large jug of a chemical of, say, a five-gallon pail, and you were bringing it down into much smaller containers, and they were kind of blank spray bottles, you had to get a label for it. Correct. You do. I, I don't know if we're, if we're all aware of this, but if, even if we're not aware of the law, it's not going to help you. No, ignorance, you know, unfortunately, ignorance is not an excuse anymore. Um, let's just touch upon that labeling thing, bringing it all the way down. Cal OSHA would, well, OSHA would really like you to label every single container. In other words, if you're using 530 oil in a container, they want a container specifically for 530, 1040, whatever your oil weights are. Now, a lot of employers out there, they're, they're, they're getting tired of being told what to do. And, and, and their mindset is, oh, my God, this is just another piece of garbage and I don't want to do this. Um, but I find it interesting that some, um, and I don't know what you call them, but the people that sell oil to the automotive shops, some of those companies are even making containers that are specifically labeled for every weight of oil, and that container is only supposed to be used for that weight of oil. So if these companies that provide it to the shops see that it's a requirement, they see and they know it's a requirement because somewhere along the line, it's gotten through to them from OSHA that this is a requirement. Well, that's kind of nice. We call them oil distributors, basically. Okay. You know, the people that are selling the oil. And if they're paying attention to the requirements that the shops need, then that becomes a really valuable partner to you to help you stay out of trouble. David told me stories upon stories of OSHA coming in, and especially he's in California, so Cal OSHA comes in and the dollars $50,000 fines and... It's it's a real thing, and I don't think we need to ignore the fact that we have that responsibility. Can you give us just one quick story to help solidify the mind of how important OSHA regulations are? Yeah, and, and, and this story will also tell you, unfortunately, how far reaching OSHA can really go. So it's, it's a good story. It ends well. So I had a client, Cal OSHA came in. And this particular client had a grinder that his father had when he started the company. God knows how long ago that was. And this grinder was nowhere near in compliance, but it also wasn't in the shop. In fact, it was in a storage shed that had an open door that was 15 feet away from the shop and out of the shop building in its own storage shed. 
the enforcement team, as they walked through the place, they saw that and they fined him $30,000 for it because the grinder was not in compliance and it was not plugged in. The employer said, well, hey, you can tell that the grinder's not in service because it's not plugged in. They go, no, we don't. Any employee can walk over here, grab this grinder, take it into the shop because you haven't cut the electrical end off. So we're going to fine you $30,000 for it. I went to war on behalf of the client. We got the thing totally dismissed. The fine they had set up was $30,000. The employer ended up paying $500 for some other miscellaneous fines. Um, had another client. Uh, actually, coincidentally, in the same town, just down the street from the last client I told you about, and this enforcement officer walked in, and the client had two different automotive repair shops under the same ownership, had two sets of grinders, actually three grinders. The grinders were not an eighth of an inch. The, the grinders did not have an eighth of an inch of separation between the base plate and the grinding wheel. It had three eighths of an inch. So it's a hair out of compliance. That enforcement officer fined them $27,500. When I went to defend them, I talked to the judge and I said, look, granted, this is not meeting the standard of the law. It's three-eighths of an inch away. The law says one-eighth of an inch away. But, Your Honor, if you're looking at this thing with the naked eye, can you even measure the difference? No, you can't. The purpose of the law is to make sure that people don't get their fingers in there so they lose their fingers. Your Honor, you can't get your fingers in three-eighths of an inch, and you can't get your fingers in one-eighth of an inch. So even though my cust my client is not in the standard of the law, he is in the framework, and he is within the heartbeat of promoting safety in the workplace. And $27,500 for two separate violations on two grinders for the same thing, only being a fraction of an inch off is ludicrous. And on top of that, your enforcement team wants to find them as a serious violation. 20 minutes later, the fine was reduced down to $750. I shudder to hear that story. I remember you telling me this just the other day as we were preparing for this show. Again, is it overreach? Is it overzealousness? Is it somebody trying to prove an example? I don't know. Maybe it just doesn't matter. But the point, the time, the exposure that we had, maybe the compliance officer couldn't find anything else but this. Things are changing. And as we speak, and we, we were talking the other day, as we speak, I could actually lose my first case in over 25 years. This is regarding a construction company. They had an accident on the job site. Uh, three employees were working together. Two, two of the three employees were abiding by the company's safety policy. The one employee that got hurt was not. So the defense for that is an affirmative, is called an affirmative action defense. That means the employee did something totally on his own outside of the realm of the safety protocols of the company. And as a result, he got hurt. I used that defense and the enforcement officer came back and said, I read your response. 
I'm not going to honor it. I'm hitting this company with two serious violations. We're looking at $40,000. Sad news is, if this goes through and stays as it is right now, this company's going to be out of business. They're a small company. They are concerned about safety. They didn't do the right things, and they didn't have the right things in place. They didn't even have an illness injury prevention program. They didn't have a heat illness prevention. They had nothing. They did everything verbally, which is fine, but they had nothing in writing to back up anything. I'm telling you this story like this because this is the change I see coming. If you think as an employer, you can just ignore all of this, not even have a written safety program, not even have for here in California, COVID-19 program, not even have a heat illness prevention program, not even be doing safety training topics because it's always going to happen to the other guy. And honestly, most of the time it does. But OSHA has determined that they want safety in the workplace. And if you don't have it, and if you can't paint a portrait, uh, you know, you ever paint by the numbers, Carm? Oh, yeah. You know that the more numbers correlating to the colors that you fill in, the better that picture looks, right? Okay. If you only had one color of the whole picture, it's not going to look too good. So compliance is like a picture, painting by the numbers. The more numbers you have filled in, the better off you're going to be. Well, OSHA, I believe with all of my heart, is at the point to where they're going to say no more. If you can't even show respect to us as an agency that has the best interests of your employees, then we're going to hit you with everything we have. And as a result, even though it's not my fault, the employer had nothing in times past up to this point for the last 25 years, I have been able to uh, fix that. And this time I won't be able to fix it potentially. Well, after what, 25 years doing this, you're, you you may be hitting a brick wall because, it, listen, it's, it's not, OSHA's doing the right thing, you've done the right thing, but the client didn't. And, and, and I think of, there's no insurance to cover this stuff. Am I right? No, you have employer's practices liability for uh, in potential employee lawsuits and stuff, but there's there's nothing for this. And, and it's set up that way. So you got a huge, huge exposure would an individual like you, David, a person who comes around on a yearly basis on a retainer and and plays OSHA for the shop owner? I mean, is that kind of, you know, you're, you're looking around looking for noncompliance? Is that what you do? Yes. And I'm stricter than OSHA is because I know what OSHA is looking for in the moment. Um, I'm also very good at what I do coming from 25 years of experience, and, and I'm an inquisitive person. So when I get with an enforcement officer, hey, dude, what's going on? What are you guys looking for? Talk to me about how you, know, you, how you want to see business owners respond to this. I pick their brains, even though I've been doing it for 25 years, and I learn so much. Leads me to one, one quick story, and I told you about this yesterday. The, the enforcement officer who actually busted me for not having an, an adequate safety program of my own. This enforcement officer was part of the high hazard industry. She was actually coming into shops as part of a five-team agency. This team 
while they were doing OSHA issues and labor board issues and pay issues, they really were looking for underground economies. They were looking for sex trafficking. They were looking for drug trafficking. And she cited one of my clients. And so I wrote the defense and I got it already. And she called me up. She's a very stout woman, um, knew what she was doing. <clears throat> and she said, your safety program's not compliant, Dave. And I said, no, it is compliant. My safety program is always compliant. She goes, it's not. I said, listen, I just went to court two months ago. She says, I don't care if you went to court or you didn't go to court. Your safety program is not compliant. It does not meet the standard of the law. I said, well, what's your reference point? So she told me the reference point. She says, look, go look it up and call me back in a half hour. So I went and I looked it up. And unfortunately, she was right. And I talked to her and I said, well, you know, even though this is here, we still meet that standard, even though it's not written because we do this and we do that. And the other. She says, I don't care what you do. She says, I know what you do. You're a professional. She says, you're, you're one of the best consultants I have ever talked with and worked with. Your stuff is state of the art. But she says, you're missing one thing here. And she says, I don't want to go to war with you, but I want you to understand. I like you. I like what you do because there's not a lot of good consultants out there. And I want you to be perfect. So. I corrected the problem. This enforcement officer spent three hours with me after that, helping me on other cases that I was working on. And the enforcement team will not talk to you at all because they're not there to help you. They're there to find you. And yet this lady spent three or four hours with me on four other cases going into them in a deep dive and helped me tremendously. Why? Because I'd earned her respect and I was doing what a good consultant does, which is protect their clients. If you went to Apex 2022, then you realized the incredible commitment that Apex has to the service professional. Joe's Garage is your place with 10 working bays as you experienced real live working conditions. Also, the best tech companies from tools and repair to management software had their latest and greatest for you. You also attended technical and business management training with the industry's best and brightest. Now, work is underway to make next year's Apex 2023 have even more product demos, trending training, marketing, and social media support to help you grow your sales and profits. Remember, if you earn your living in the aftermarket, then Apex is the expo for you. Continue listening as we bring you the latest from Apex 2023. Save the date, October 31st through November 2nd, 2023. Let's face it, your shop management system is the single most important tool in your shop, period. NapaTrax was built from the ground up to make your business more profitable and efficient. We provide an extensive set of tools to increase and track profitability in real time. NapaTrax offers the industry's best post-sale support, hands down, and we train your people on-site. Yep, on-site. And we offer remote refresher training 10 times a week, and customer support is open six days a week. Give us a call, visit the website, or join our Facebook community today to learn more. We'll prove to you that Trax is the single best shop management system in the business. Napa Trax is always customized and tailored for you, whether you're a one-man shop or a large multi-bay or multi-location company. After all, it's your shop, so it's your choice. Visit us on the web at NapaTrax, that's N-A-P-A-T-R-A-C-S dot com. You are hardened, and it's not a negative thing. I think it's a positive thing. You're hardened with all the experience, the things you've seen, the heartbreak. 
but it seems to me that so are the compliance officers hardened. They've gotten that way. Carm, think about this for just a second. I mean, we talk about all this stuff and we, and we say, it's really unfair. It's an attack upon the employer. And, and I get that mindset. And, and certainly they have a right to feel that way because there's a lot of things going on. But let's just put the shoe on the other foot for just a minute. How would you feel if you were an enforcement officer? You'd been walking the streets for 25 years. And 90% of the time, 85 to 90% of the time, you're blown off like you're nothing. They, when you walk in, they give you homage. When you walk out, they don't do anything after that. And you know it because you both go back in and you revisit them. Do you know upon their visit or when they leave what they found? Are they, are they presenting it to you at the time that they're leaving or do you get a letter? When Kalosha comes in, they have a laundry list that they're working from. They actually have a checklist. Now they have four to six different checklists, but they choose the checklist that they're going to use when they walk into your shop. They use it. And then at the end of it, they give the employer what I call a laundry list, which is a list of everything they want to see. Safety program, safety training documentation, um, workers' compensation, a bunch of stuff. And you've got like 72 hours to a week at the most to get it back to them. After they get it back, they're going to review it, and then they're going to assess the fines and fine you accordingly. But it's not about, oh, they found this grinder in the corner that didn't have the plug caught off. That is a completely different visit that will they allow you to walk with them as they look and inspect? You can you can you can walk with them. Um, those um, that's may or may not be part of the laundry list, but you will get back a list of fines and how they're going to classify their, those fines. From there, you'll have a chance to respond to those fines. And then once you respond, they will decide whether or not to accept uh, your definition or your rebuttal. Let's talk about the employee interview. And is that just in normal happenstance while they're walking through? They're, they're talking to your people or do they go in with a specific mission? It depends. There's, there's different reasons that Kalosha can come to your door as, as, as simple as we're just walking the streets and we're going to hit you, um, today and so on. Um, or they can be choosing to go after automotive repair shops. They can be choosing to go after auto body shops. They can be choosing to go after tire shops, in which case they'll ignore everything else on that street and hit the targeted place. Interestingly enough, and I would imagine this would be, this would go across the, the the United States, automotive repair shops, auto body shops, some construction companies are going to be the number one targets where there is underground economies of drug trafficking and um, and sexual trafficking. Yeah, so interesting. It's just mind blowing to me. David continues to say Cal OSHA. And if you're listening to this and you're in Iowa, New York, Florida, doesn't matter, pick any other state, you can't stop listening because he keeps saying Cal OSHA because this is universal to just about anywhere you go. So the, the, the reason we're doing this, all of his expertise, he lives in California, he earns his living there, but everything that David is telling us will help you no matter where your shop's located. 
It's interesting that you say that, Carm. And I'm sorry, I, I have been trying not to say Kalosha, but it kind of gets to be a habit. But let me let me just kind of back up what you're saying, because I want our listeners to really understand. OSHA, over the last three to four years, has almost kicked Cal OSHA out and forced Cal OSHA to become. Actually, what they did is they said, look, you guys are not enforcing enough. You're not adhering to the OSHA standards enough. We will take your individual state agency away from you and make you OSHA. So every state, no matter what state it is that has their own separate division, must meet the basic OSHA standards, which is everything we're talking about on this show. Let's talk about lift safety. Your lifts need to be certified um, at least once a year. Certified slash inspection. It's a big deal. You know, it seems like I have a story for everything. And I guess after 25 years, you do. One of my clients, OSHA walked into, cited them for their lifts not being inspected. Actually, no, I take that back. Kalisha didn't, I mean, OSHA did not cite them. I cited them in my personal walkthrough with them, and then the client went and fixed it. And when the client went and fixed it, he called me up and he said, it cost me $6,000 to fix my list. And I apologize because I don't like money coming out of my client's pockets. And his response to me was, Dave, why are you apologizing? The top safety latch on the lift was faulty and was not engaging entirely. That car could have come crashing down on my employee at any time and cost them their lives. $6,000 is nothing to pay for life. So who inspects the lifts? Every single year, you as a shop owner must have your lifts certified slash inspected. You can certify them yourself if you installed them. Are the company that sold them to you can certify them, or any company who sells lifts can certify them. But if you installed them, the state feels that you have the wherewithal to inspect them and certify them because they have to work. And if they don't work, you'll find it out when you're installing them. I, I find that fascinating that, uh, that if I installed my own lifts, that I would know exactly how that manufacturer intended all the safety devices on that lift to work. And here I am certifying that. God help if something did happen and you certify that lift. And because you just didn't know that this particular latch, as you were talking about just a few minutes ago, was critical and important. And you didn't really know what to look for. I'm sorry. I just find that a little on the scary side. For me, this is the way I handle all that stuff. And, and, you know, here in California, we're supposed to, I don't know statewide, but here in California, we have to do sexual harassment training. There's a specific agency that handles that here in California. I could get safety training from an attorney that would probably be better than what that agency offers, but I send all my clients back to that agency. Why? Because they set the standards. They're going to enforce the standards. Anything that they produce, it's going to be their problem if it doesn't meet the standards. So even though the attorney training may be better, I want my clients protected. Now, let's go back to the lifts. If I installed my own lifts, no matter how good I am, I'm not certifying them. I'm having a company come in to certify them because it's too close to home and I want it done right. Smart. I want a third set of eyes to do it. 
I, I can't see how someone would not want that. It just takes one incident. You could lose your business, a person, your livelihood, if you're not protected. I, I, one of the things that you and I chatted about when I think I asked this crazy question, so why aren't we paying attention to all of this, David? And then we talked about, you know, paying a consultant every year to come in would probably be the cheapest money you could possibly spend to stay as compliant with OSHA as you could possibly be, minimize your risk of huge fines. But we also talked about the fact that our bandwidth is so limited today for us to pay attention. Blink your eyes, a month is gone, and you had intentions of doing this stuff, and you lose those intentions, and all of a sudden, knock, knock, knock. The point of this episode was that you've got to pay it. There's some critical things in your world and in your life you need to pay attention to, and safety, and the whole OSHA thing is probably bigger than you would ever expect. It is, and, and you know, people are, right now, there's so many changes to business. There's been so many changes with COVID nationwide that have caused outside pressures to, I, I call it having your bandwidth reduced. You know, we, we know we should, we know, we, but you know, we've just got so many other things flying at us with our business, with other things, and we just don't have the bandwidth. And, and that's really another reason if let's turn that around and let's, let's not ignore the elephant in the room. Let's say, you know what? I'm too stressed. These things have to get done. It's easier for me to pay somebody. I don't have to deal with it. They're going to deal with it. If I've got somebody who's good, then I really don't have to worry about it at all. Just call them, talk to them, stay in touch with my consultant, stay in touch with the guy that's helping me and let them. I always talk to employers and this is a line I have because I watched the Jerry Maguire movie a long time ago and I love this line, help me help you. And that's what employers need to understand. Don't bury your head. Don't run away. Don't get angry. Let your help your consultants so that they can help you. And in two to five hours a year, stretched out over the course of a year, bam, you're done. You don't have to worry about the $40,000 fine. You don't have to worry about OSHA. And if you do get OSHA, your consultant's going to help you. Let me summarize what David just said. Very, very critical, very important. He just said there is no easy button. <laughs> there is none. And you're right, distractions, that you know, uh, all the outside stresses of our business, and yet safety, huge concern, OSHA. I had this crazy idea as you were just talking to me. A lot of times we love to give responsibilities to our team. You know, if you have a three or four person team, you may not be able to really do this. But if you got four or five or six or even a much bigger team, you could say to your uh, manager, to your, you know, senior service advisor, to your diagnostician, to your shop manager, I need some help here. Who wants to take on a role of uh, being our safety compliance officer? Well, I don't know anything about that, boss, but it sounds like it would be interesting. Well, we're going to get you some help, uh, all kinds of stuff on the website, but we've got to have these basic minimums. I mean, talk about involving your team in safety. The one thing you do have to be aware of is that if you name a safety officer in your safety program across the United States, doesn't matter, 
they're going to be tied into any potential lawsuit that arises out of a safety act, an accident in the workplace. Well, that was a bad idea that I just had. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Dave, for slapping me upside the head. You know, employers, they go, well, I'm going to let Tom do this. And I always tell them, you know, you can let Tom do it. You just, I have to give you full disclosure here that in the event that something happens, Tom's going to be right with you as a partner. Okay. So you need to think about that. So I hire you as my consultant for this. Do you have responsibilities then or not? Yeah, I have insurances. I have employer, I have not employer's practice liability, but I have Oh, man, I forget what the thing of this. But, yeah, if I say anything that's not right, I've got insurance, just like anybody else. I'm out. But you're not my safety compliance officer. No, but in, 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 and I'm not there all the time. Okay, but here's the deal. If you follow what I tell you to do, you're going to be compliant. When Cal OSHA comes in, they're going to find out that you're working with me, XYZ doesn't matter. And if the consultant is any good unfortunately there's a lot of bad ones but if the consultant is good you're going to be in a good place if the consultant is good and you've done what he's told you to do you really don't have any worries you are going to get fined for some things because nobody's perfect you are going to get hit with some things but then the consultant who's been working with you who OSHA, i mean osha realizes that you've actually spent money to get somebody in here and you are actually in fact osha knows that we, as a group, consultants, have more authority and more power over employers than they do. Their reasoning in that is this. We know, Dave, that when we walk into that employer on that day, we are God, and they're going to drop what they're doing, and they're going to bow down, and they're going to do whatever we ask them to do. But when we're gone tomorrow, so is all their concerns. But when a company has paid money for you or someone like you, you never leave. You're there every single day through the things you send them, through the communications that you have. And ultimately, they know that you are an accountability partner. And we love that Yeah, because it helps them to be safe. Okay. How do I hire a person like you? What do I look for in a resume? Are there any certifications that I have to look for? Do I find out about things you've won in court? Help me, help me find a person like you. If, if I was going to hire a consultant to do what I do, one of the first things I'd ask to see is a sample of their illness injury prevention program. Illness injury and prevention program. Okay. I would do my own due diligence, which will only take you about a half hour to make sure their program is compliant, broadly speaking. The second thing I'm going to ask them for is, there, do they have any experience in the field or do they just produce binders and hand me the binders with no field knowledge or no backup knowledge so that they can actually help me with the intricacies of arguing my case? If they don't have field knowledge, if they're not up to date on what's going on as we speak, I don't want them. I don't need a binder. I don't need, in fact, let, let, me, let me tie all this together with this one story. I have a friend who lives in San Diego, California. We used to ride bikes together all the time. And he was a client of mine. And he's one of those people who's, you know, you really don't want to ask him a question because you really don't want the answer potentially. He says, David, do you want to know why I have you 
as my OSHA and HR guy. I said, sure, tell me. He says, you know, you talk about your safety program and you say it's the best thing since hot cocoa. He says, I don't know if it is. I don't know if it isn't. And frankly, I don't care because that safety program to me is a dime a dozen. Your employee handbook, you say the same thing about that. I don't know if it is. I don't know if it's not. To me, it's a quarter a dozen. But he said, here's why I have you. You tell me that if Calosha comes into my business, you're going to be here within 72 hours at no charge to help me get my ducks in a row, to help me strategize, to go forward with my defense. And you're going to do that within 72 hours. I've never had to have you do that, but I've talked with clients of yours who have, and you keep your word. You're there, you know what you're doing, and you bailed them out. That's why I have you. Forget your binders. I don't care. I got you for you. Okay, so anyone could show me all the good stuff on the surface, but you need to make a few phone calls to talk to some people that have actually used this consultant in, the re- in a real-world situation. Right. Okay. Makes all kinds of sense. Uh, one of the things you, you talk a lot about here is is the handbook. Does every business, every shop owner that you know have an have a employee handbook? They may have one, but it's probably not um, written exactly the way that it should be written. And, and, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat. There's more than one way to have phraseology in the employee handbook. And just because you don't have... What my employee handbook says doesn't mean that it's right or wrong, but there are certain things that you have to have in your employee handbook. And again, for me, I have a network of attorneys that I work with and I refer my clients to them in, in, in the case or uh, when there's a potential employee lawsuit. One of those attorneys has written my employee handbook. So if, if you're going to get with an HR services company, Make sure they have those capabilities, too. Make sure they're working with actual attorneys, not people that have just got certificates they can hang on the wall from SHRM or, or, you know, uh, some of the other agencies that you can do. Make sure that these attorneys are going to be there for your clients. I mean, because it's the consultants that really need to have this backing for their clients because, you know, a notice of intent to sue those cases are going to run starting at $15,000 up to two, $300,000. Is there a determining authority on the substance and the quality of a handbook? Here's the saddest part about all of that. You can have a perfectly legal employee handbook that covers the policies adequately, okay? But you may not be able to take that employee handbook into court. Because when you go to court, there's certain things that the judge is going to look at to make sure is in certain places of your employee handbook. If it's not in those places, you're going to have two strikes against you in the eyes of the judge before you even start. One is your at-will status. Is your at-will status between page one and page three? Number two is your sexual harassment stage policy. Is it between pages three and page five? Does your sexual harassment policy include bullying in the workplace and all the other things that have now been dovetailed into that policy? Does your employee handbook have verbiage that says including in reference to your discipline policy? Because if it has 
If it has verbiage that says up to and including, you've just destroyed your at will status because up to and including is an implied contract involving steps up to and including termination. If you don't follow the up to and including and then you just terminate, you violated your own company policy by not following procedure. Actually, what we're talking about here is the good old boys attorney network. Let me give you one one quick story real quick. In California, I don't know about other states, but in California, well, I guess this would apply to any state who is an at-will employment state. You terminate your employee for at-will. At-will means either party can terminate the relationship with or without cause, yada, 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 okay? So what has happened is that, and this is across the board, what has happened is that an employer will terminate an employee at-will. And let's say the employer's done a really good job. In other words, when the employee asked him, well, why are you really terminating me? The employer stuck to their guns and said, I'm just using my at-will status. Either one of us can terminate the relationship with or without cause, and we're just going in another direction. Here's your check. Wish you the very best. Okay. That employee goes to a labor law attorney for wrongful termination. The attorney will take it to court, and the basis for the termination is that the employee was terminated without a reason. Now, here's where the courts should have stepped in and said, this is not a valid case because the definition of an of at-will employment is exactly that. You, either party, can terminate at any time without reason, without cause. But the courts allow the cases to go forward. And so somewhere down the road, as this case is going on, they're going to put me on the, on, on, on the witness stand. Mr. Fisher, do you value good employees? Well, yes, I do. Mr. Fisher, did, did the person that you fire, Carm, uh, did he have any write-ups in his file? No. Did he get raises annually? Yes, he did. Did he have any positive things in his employee, in his employee file? Yes, he does. He was employee of the month. Over the last 10 years, three times. So is a good employee important to your business, Mr. Fisher? Yes, it is. Sounds to me like you just fired a good employee. Carm has good things in his file, no write-ups. He got raises every year. Why did you really fire Carm? Wasn't it really a form of discrimination? And wasn't it really a wrongful termination since you're looking for good employees? But let me just say this real quick. I am working very hard with my clients to change their discipline culture. This three strikes you're out is a joke. There is no effort to rehabilitate the employee in most companies. There are some companies who are being very progressive, and and that's a good thing. I'm encouraging, and I have two different forms that I use, and if anybody wants them, I'll send them to anybody who wants one um, at no charge. The first form is the master form, and you use that to set the table. So let's say you're an automotive repair shop, and let's say you have a tech who, it could be anything, having too many comebacks, not getting enough billable hours uh, that you need as a shop to meet the standard. It could be anything. So you call him in, and you say, look, you've had several comebacks. Your comeback percentage is way too high. Your billable hours is way too low. We've got to work on those two things. 
But let me ask you this, Carm, because, you know, I want to help you to get better and get up to the shop. Is there anything going on in this shop that's causing you not to be able to perform to the standard that we expect you to perform at? Now, you're going to give me an answer, and it may be a real answer, or it may be one of those answers that we all hear all the time. So if it's one of those answers, you say, well, Carm, there's not a whole lot I can do about that, but you know what? I'm going to think about that. I'm going to give that some thought, and if something comes to mind, I'm going to. But what we're going to do is I'm going to give you some tips on what I think will help you to improve, and then for the next four to five weeks, we're going to have a meeting every Monday morning. Now, this is not going to be a long meeting. This is going to be a short meeting. It's going to be about 10 minutes. We're going to go over your last week's performance numbers. And we're going to monitor you with the goal of getting you up to the acceptable standard. Every week, we're going to talk for just a couple minutes, get your input, find out what you're doing. And we're just going to see because we want you to succeed. When you succeed, we succeed. Well, as you go on that journey by week number four, I'm going to know whether Carm's going to make it or not. And if Carm doesn't make it after week number four to five, on that last meeting, I'm going to have his check ready. I'm going to say, Carm, you know, you went up for the first couple of weeks. You plateaued on the third week. And weeks number four and five, you fell back down. And so, unfortunately, I have no choice but to terminate you for lack of performance. There is no lawsuit in the world that can come from that. Yes, they can start one. But when they do the initial discovery, the intent, to sue letter and you respond to that letter and you include those forms and what you did to help rehabilitate that employee, the lawsuit's going to disappear because there's lower hanging fruit all over the place. David, is this discussion that we've just had why New York is number one with employee lawsuits? And California's number five, these are the issues of, quote, 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 wrongful termination. Right. I got it. Okay. Because uh, we have more lawyers than we have um, apple groves up here. Absolutely. And here's another thing. Here is another thing to think about. As an employer, over time, if you adopt to what I've just outlined one way or another, not saying you have to use my system specifically, you can create a workplace culture that is very positive. In other words, over time, the employees will see that you really want to rehabilitate them, that you really do want to accommodate them, that you want to help them be professional. And all of a sudden, a call into your office over time is not three strikes, you're out. It's we want to help you perform. We want you to succeed so we can, once that gets out into the work culture, you will find, I guarantee it, production will go up. When you treat employees as a valuable commodity, most of them, even in this day, will respond more positively than if you didn't. We could go on for three hours and pick your brain, get all these great ideas uh, about this. But uh, I'm saturated, and, and I do believe that our listener is going to say, wow, where do I start? Thank you so much. I may have to go back and listen to this again. Got to write down some priorities that I need to uh, fix. Very, very well done. I, I so appreciate this, David. Now, you were talking about some forms. 
I'll tell you what we'll do. You send me the forms, and then if anyone goes to the show notes page, and, and even if you're listening on your player, you can just click more and then go on your phone, and we'll have a link to for a PDF download of whatever it is that you want anyone to have. And this will make it easy right. for you and seamless for our listener to be able to get those forms. And uh, I appreciate that. Uh, David Fisher, any final words to, if you will, uh, thank you for the slap upside the head, which is kind of what I think this episode is about. Maybe we're not paying attention, too much going on, too much stress, too much, not enough bandwidth to figure out this whole safety issue. And uh, I, I think we, I think we needed a dose of this. Any final words? Yeah, one final word. I think sums up the entire situation really well. You walk into a bar and there's three or four guys sitting there talking and one of them's debating getting a divorce. And so the guys are sitting around with a beer in their hand and you know how it goes. They're talking well, you know, and the guy's thinking about divorce. He listens to everybody for about 15 minutes. And then he says, you know what, guys, I think it's cheaper to keep her. Compliance is always cheaper than the fines and the hassle. You've, you've, you've shaken the fiber of a lot of listeners out there, and they probably agree with you. <laughs> oh, my. David Fisher, uh, consultant, OSHA, uh, and labor law expert uh, out of the great state of California, uh, his second episode with me. Thank you very much, my friend. Thank you, Carm. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time... 